Hey, buddies, fellow Franco fans. It is I, your host, Jason Rudy from Desperate Visions Productions, a Sacramento, California-based filmmaking group headed by yours truly, as the late, great Dick Graham used to say. And um, we are here today to talk about episode 118, film 119. Um, And the title is interesting because it's misspelled and it's changed. So the book and um, the title of the film is Diamonds of Kilimanjaro. But the poster and the title of the film, when you watch it, is Diamonds well, actually, Diamonds for Kilimanjaro, but the poster is Diamonds of Kilimanjaro. And Kilimanjaro, the D is different, so it's just a crazy thing. I'm sitting there figuring it out, trying to, what I want to title it for. So I think on the episode title, we'll have it as Diamonds of Kilimanjaro, but also it's known as Diamonds for Kilimanjaro, and known as many other titles as well. So... Let's go into this um, interesting uh, film. So, all right, here we go. Of course, all this information always is from the Flowers of Perversion Volume Two, which I just saw Stephen Thrower uh, put something out that they just released a a uh, copy they had in storage with the other slipcover and uh, the other books of Jess Franco, the missing uh, the book about the missing suitcase and all the um, ingredients inside of it. So. That's a cool thing, but it's like about hundred bucks, so a little bit steep for me right now. But here we go. Okay, film number one nineteen, Diamonds of Kilimanjaro. It's the English language title, and came out France and Spain production, nineteen eighty two. Original theatrical title in countries of origin. So this started off first as a Spanish film titled The Treasure of the White Goddess, El Tesoro. De la Dioso Blanca. And then the uh, Eurocene bought it and changed it into the Diamonds of Kilimanjaro. Added new scenes and everything. We'll go over all that. Uh, the alternative titles, other titles in other countries. Uh, in Germany, it was titled Mondo Cannibale Tiel 4. So I would guess that's Mondo Cannibal number 4. Um, which I know cannibals or Cannibal, the Jess Franco film, is called Mondo Cannibale. So they must be going off of that, that being the first one, and then maybe Devil Hunter might have been the second one, and then third might have been, um, I don't know what the third would have been. Maybe, uh, let's see, Cannibals. Oh, maybe Oasis of the Living Dead, and then this would be the fourth one. Oh, okay, that's interesting. I just answered my own question. So yeah, they probably have it as uh, Mondo Cannibale, and then Devil Hunter, and then... Uh, Oasis of the Zombies is Monte Cannibale 3, and then this is Monte Cannibale 4. That's, you know, they all kind of go together, so it's there's some validity to that uh, structure. Uh, let's see, the Euroscene poster, uh, Diana the Young Savage, Diana la Savajane. Um, the Finnish video, it's titled African Predators, African Sala, Salistia. And then we have uh, the Greek DVD, um, Treasure of the White Goddess. Unconfirmed titles, uh, CNC archive document, Banga the Black Goddess, Banga Le Dresse Noir. Uh, export title, question marks on both, Banga Black Goddess, or see, Bomga with the M, Bomga Black Goddess, or Treasure of the White Goddess. Production companies, Elite Films out of Madrid and Eurochine out of Paris. Eurochine, I'm getting fascinated with them, actually. Um, they're always a different chapter of Franco's universe before and after. And uh, for all their shortcomings in that, I do admire what they did. So, uh, And they're the little company that could, you know. Uh, theatrical distributor, Lauren Films, S.A. out of Spain. And Venus Films, S.A. Spain out of Post on the poster unreleased theatrically in France so interesting I wonder if that was uh, 
Well, no, Kilimanjaro probably played. Anyway, a shooting date circa November, which is just last month, of 1982. So that's cool, coming up on about the uh, 40-year anniversary of that. 40-year anniversary of Diamonds of Kilimanjaro. Woohoo! I <laughs> uh, got its deposit legal number in January 25th of 83. Played Madrid July 18th of 83. Then played Barcelona in January 14th of 85. And French visa issued February 26th, 1988. Theatrical running time, Spain. The El Toso, El Tosoro de la Diosa Blanca. The uh, Treasure of the White Goddess version played at 91 minutes, and Diamonds of Kilimanjaro, French version, 93 minutes. And video and DVD running times, uh, same, 86.48 for White Blanca, and 95 minutes, 12 seconds for Diamonds of Kilimanjaro. The version I watched was uh, 80... 83 minutes. 85. Hmm, that's interesting. Shriek Show DVD. Maybe it's the other one, 86 or 83. It's still short, though. It's interesting. Hmm. Um, that's interesting, because I got the MVD Classics in the office. That was Shriek Show. This is 2018 release. Hmm. Okay. Uh, it's interesting. The running times are all different. Um, it says, Note the Spanish Ministry of Culture lists the debut Spanish release as Madrid, June 3rd of 83, but this is not born out of my press sources. Okay. All right, director. Of course, we know who that would be, Jess Franco. But in the French version, he's billed as C, just one letter for his first name, C dot plot, P-L-A-U-T, C plot. That's funny. I wonder if that's like a funeral thing, like a plot. Um, executive producer for Elite Films, Rogelio Lopez Fernandez, screenplay by Jess Franco, supposedly based on the novel Fuego Crucedo by Edison Marshall, as Edison Marshall. It's like a QT Marshall. Uh, assistant director, Lena Romay, which explains why she's not in the film that much. And uh, she's, of course, billed as Rosa M. Almoral, which is a version of her real name. Uh, director of photography, Jess Franco, as Joan Almoral. The Almoral sisters, Joan and Jess. I mean, Jess and Lena. Uh, camera assistant, Enrique Diaz, as Enrique Diaz, with a Z instead of an A. Uh, production manager, Antonio Mayans, as J.A. Mayans. Um, let's see. Music, Jess Franco, as J. Franco, and Daniel White, as Pablo Vila. Um... Laboratory Madrid Films, first camera operator, Jess Franco. Credits for the Eurochine Cut, Le Diamonds de Kilimanjaro. Uh, director C. Plot, Olivier, Olivier Mathot. So yeah, he ends up directing some of the um, footage shot later on. The stuff with the huts and everything. Uh, executive producer, Daniel Sewer. Screenplay, A.L. Moreau. Music, Daniel White. Script supervisor, Ilona Kunsova. See, that's interesting, the script supervisor... That must be on the new, um, the new footage that they've written. So that's why they call the script supervisor. Cause she's not on the original credits. Uh, special effects, so, so, SWA company. That must be the blood stuff. Uh, title: Sierra Pelli, Laboratory Claire. Okay, cast. And the beautiful Katia Binert returns um, as Diana D. Winter. She's the lead of the film. Even though she might not have the most screen time, but she is the lead. Um, Aline Mess plays Noba, the tribal prince priestess. Uh, Olivia Mathot as Matthew, Hermione's nephew, and Lena Romay as Hermione de Winter, Diana's mother. So it's funny. Olivia Mathot is way older than Lena, but then he's playing her, her nephew, which would be her brother or sister's. Uh, Son, so it's funny. He's like twenty years older than her, at least. It's fucking stupid. Um, Daniel White. So it's funny. Daniel White. I didn't realize that was him. He's the guy that does all the music in Jess Franco films. He plays the big white chief in this. Uh, Daniel. So yeah, Daniel White. He's billed as Pablo Vila or Dan Villers. That's Daniel D. Winter, aka Big White Chief. So yeah, he's the Scottish guy in this. It's funny. Um, Antonio Mayans plays Ro as Robert Foster plays Fred Pereira. 
Fred Ferrara, so that's cool. It's a version of Al Pereira, but she acts like Al Pereira, so it's cool. He's like under undercutting and scheming and stuff. Uh, Albiano Graziani plays Peyton. Mari Carmen Nito plays Lydia De Winter, Diana's sister, which is crazy. So she gets naked and she like kisses Olivia Mathot, and that's supposed to be her Diana's sister. So it'd be her sister. So that would be her uncle, I guess. Sister. No, cousin. Actually, that would be her cousin. So yeah, it's funny. She's almost like, she doesn't have sex with him or nothing. They just kind of hang out, but she's like naked around him and kissing him and stuff. And that's just weird. But I guess maybe the incest thing, they kind of play with a little bit here. Um, Diana's sister. And then Javier Maza plays Rafael, a.k.a. Rofo, the jungle guide. And finally, Daniel Katz is the helicopter pilot. Um, oh, I never realized I was him. Okay, cool. Uh, let's see. Uh, production notes. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll save the synopsis for when we when I do the review. Uh, production notes. Eurochines Marius and Daniel Lassure were persistent and indefangable when it came to hustling the international film markets. And, to their credit, they managed to carve out a role for themselves during the increasingly difficult business landscape of the 1980s, when many small film companies were going belly up. Yet, for Franco fans, it can seem a bit of a mixed blessing given that Eurocene tirelessly promoted some of Franco's worst efforts while his best work of the period languished unseen outside Spain. Their distribution of The Cannibals, Oasis of the Zombies, Diamonds of Kilimanjaro, and Golden Temple Amazons may have been a triumph from a business standpoint, but by making these tatty and unconvincing films, the most viable example of Franco's output they contributed to his plummeting reputation in the 1980s. A good example is El Tesoro de la Diana Blanca, which Franco made for the Madrid-based elite films. The Lesurers bought it and transformed it into a Eurocene production called Diamonds of Kilimanjaro, with the addition of new scenes and a partial rescore. From the same Spanish company, they also acquired Franco's moody, minimalist tone poem, Fall of the House of Usher, turning it into neurosis, with the addition of copious black-and-white flashback to the awful Dr. Orloff and new scenes shot in Paris featuring Olivier Mathot. It's likely, given that both titles were originally bankrolled by elite films, that they were purchased as part of the same package sometime in 1984. While filming El Tesoro de la Diosa Blanca on location in the Canary Islands, Franco took the opportunity to shoot some additional scenes for his 1981 horror film Oasis of the Zombies, recasting two roles with Spanish actors to create a Spanish-language variant called La Tumba de la Moretes Vivantes. Oasis star Javier Maiza was already on hand playing El Tesoro de la Diana Blanca's Rafael, so it was easy for him to reshoot his Oasis scenes. He plays the same character called Blabbert, opposite Henry Lambert in Oasis and Ferrado and Tumba. Um, the sandy palm tree clearing scene toward the end of El Tesoro de la Blanca had previously been used as a titular Oasis of the Zombies. Yeah, I noticed that. There's a scene where they go through where you see these palm trees and there's a bunch of cut um, palms, uh, the branches and stuff laying in piles next to them. And I totally recognize that as the um, location for Oasis of the Zombies. It's funny he mentions it here as well, so that's good. Um, it had previously been used as the Oasis, so Franco shot more scenes there for Tumba featuring Daniel Katz, given that the, uh, the Tumba de Muerte Favertes was released in Spanish cinemas in March 83. It must have been completed at least three months before that date, which gives us a November-December shooting period for both Tumba and El Tesoro de Su Blanca. Review by Stephen Thrower. He says, Enough. Will somebody please keep Jess Franco out of the jungle? I like him in the jungle. But anyway... Uh, anyone who thinks that The Cannibals, 1979, represents Franco at his worst, I would disagree, has obviously never seen Diamonds of Kilimanjaro, a, sor a story so devoid of excitement, 
I disagree, that one is soon pining for the quasi-psychedelic gristle chewing of the earlier film. The plot here, concerning a posse of bounty hunters scouring the jungle for lost teenager Katja Binnert, is interchangeable with the cannibals, relying as it does on the tired racist trope of the white woman revered by jungle natives. Black cast members are shunted around like set decoration in a story which so poorly fetishizes their exorcism that it's hard to say what is more regrettable, the fetishization of the ineptitude. I'm sorry, the the fetishization or the ineptitude. With the exception of Aline Mess, who at least gets a few lines of dialogue, the black performers are interchangeable props for a retro charade concerning Whitey's fantasy of being stuck in the jungle with a bunch of superstitious darkies. Wow. Uh, the presence of a deranged white authority figure who has set himself up in the jungle as a tribal overlord may feel like a nod to Apocalypse Now, uh, 1979, which of course is Hearts of Darkness by Joseph Conrad, which is a great film great book. Uh, but if you're looking for philosophical exploration of mankind's innate savagery, forget it. The underlying fantasy here is unreconstructed colonial blight. All of which is true, but a tad humorous. It should also be pointed out that the film's white imperial overlord is played by Franco's regular composer, Daniel White, with a terrible Scottish accent, an introductory skirt of bagpipes on the soundtrack, and a tartan Tamo Shanter perched on his head. I wouldn't say that this redeems what is in essence a dumb and embarrassing film, but it does make it harder to keep a straight face. When a conniving relative arrives at the jungle village to integrate himself with this Caledonian Colonel Kurtz, he brings, of course, a bottle of whiskey, the only enticement that will tempt the grumpy Scott from his hut. Franco is an equal opportunity stereotyper. The hut is another laugh-out-loud detail, stuck together out of raffia matting and leopard skins, wall hangings. It looks like something hurriedly assembled by producer Marius Lesur's back garden, which it almost certainly was. Yeah, that area looks pretty cheesy in the film, but Franco didn't shoot that, so. Uh, the obvious box office draw here is Katja Bennett, whose youthful beauty is no more diminished by this silly and uninvolving drama than it is by the few smears of mud which connote her jungle life. Whereas Bennett's tendered age precludes her earlier Franco films from distribution in English-speaking markets, here she's 18, thus opening the way to a DVD release in the USA. She doesn't get involved in the film's meager sexual activities, but she is topless much of the time. The film would have us believe that she lives in the trees, giving rise to some endearing scenes in which the actress tries gamely to swing from jungle crapers like a teenage girl Tarzan. The remaining softcore enticements include topless nudity from black actress Aline Mess, the only energetic performer in the film, playing an angry, angry jungle priestess, and a single sex scene between Antonio Mayans and Mari Carmenito, an unusually chaste affair with not a pubic mound in sight. The chief exploitable ingredient that you'd expect in a film like this is gory cannibal violence. But... Franco typically offers far less than his peers in that area, piteously avoiding the gristle, except for a medium shot of Noba waving a severed head, with no gut-ripping, no flesh-chewing, and no impalement of screaming Caucasians to liven things up, a la Regaro Diodato or Imperto Lindsay. All that's left to enjoy is some softcore boob jiggling and a rash tag of bad film pleasures, which though momentarily amusing, amounts to little more than you'd expect from just about any poorly made hack job of the period. Cast and crew. Juanadila <clears throat> Morena's abiding memory of this film is persuading Akasha Bennett not to wear nail varnish, which would hardly be fitting for a female Tarzan living in a primitive life in the jungle, only for the actress to slip away behind the trees and reapply it when no one was looking. Music, which I actually like the music in this a lot. Uh, music, Devil Hunter's score provides much of the jungle ambiance, complete with distinctive Tambalawe tribal singing, which sounds strangely like Jess himself. A reoccurrent synthesizer theme, first heard during the scene in which Lydia enters Fred's hotel room at night, 
revisits a melodic motif from Jean-Michel Legris' Equilibrium, as heard in Sinner, Diary of a Nymphomaniac. The title theme from La Noche de los Sexos Umbertos reappears during the pre-jungle expedition briefing while the confrontation between Nobla and Diana at the climax of the film borrows an expensive-sounding orchestra cue from Franco's 1968 film, The Blood of Fu Manchu. Given that composer Daniel White stars here, perhaps the recycling of the cue settles the question of whether The Blood of Fu Manchu was scored by Daniel White, as the English credits say, or Gert Wilden, as claimed by the German credits. Locations. El Tesoro de la Diosa Blanca was shot in Gran Canaria. The Beverly Park Hotel, where Mayans, Graziani, and Mathot scheme before heading off into the jungle, is located in Playa del Ingles, 40 kilometers from La Palmas. Sometime in 1983, additional shooting on the outskirts of Paris provided the material for Yorshin's French and English language versions, Diamonds of Kilimanjaro. One location, a sandy area bound by trees and bushes, looks familiar from other Eurocene projects like Panther Squad and Maniac Killer. Not to mention Franco's next jungle lap, Jungle Temple, Am- I'm sorry, Golden Temple Amazons, 1983. All right, connections. Um, the credits for El Tesoro de la Diosa Blanca. Let me check the levels here. Yep, good, okay. Uh, declares the film is based on a novel called Fuego Cruzado, Crossfire, by Edison Marshall. This would seem to be a reference to Edison Marshall, he lived 1894 to 1967, a writer of pulp fiction best known for the novel The Vikings, filmed in 1958 by Richard Fleischer as The Vikings, starring Kurt Douglas. Although I can find no evidence of a martial novel called Fuego Cruzado or Crossfire, there is another which fits the bill. Diane of the Lost Land, 1935, about a lost world in the Antarctic where whose tribe Dinsians are related to the Paleolithic Cro-Magnons. The ruler, Diane, is benevolent priestess queen whom the tribe reveres as a living goddess. She is in fact Caucasian, the daughter of a man from a lost expedition that came to the region. It almost sounds like uh, she or something. Uh, even more than Diane of the Lost Land, Diamonds of Kilimanjaro is Franco's spin on a pair of German adventure films which enjoyed international success in the 50s. Um, Lyanne, Jungle Goddess, 1956, and Jungle Girl and the Slaver, 1957. The first of these films, a German expedition, is attacked by a jungle of tribe of natives. Their lives are saved by the arrival of Leon, a beautiful white girl wearing a skimpy bikini who the natives revere as a goddess. The explorers capture her and take her back to civilization, where it turns out she's the granddaughter of a German millionaire. A greedy nephew who expects to inherit the rich man's millions plots to get rid of Leon by any means necessary. The second film, a posse of rich relatives head off into the jungle to track her down before she's abducted by slave traders. That sounds very familiar. That's funny. Uh, The decision to reach back to such an old-fashioned type of film was almost certainly inspired by the contemporary success of George Lucas and Steven Spielberg's 1981 film Raiders of the Lost Ark, which was just about a year before this was made, um, which took as its primary model the sort of Saturday matinee adventure serials popular in American cinemas in the 30s and 40s. Uh, Fernando Baldi's wildly solid Raiders of the Lost Ark ripoff I'm sorry, widely sold, uh, Treasure of the Four Crowns, 1983, about a group of professional thieves who steal gems from a magical cavern, may also have influenced Eurocene's decision to purchase El Soro de la Diada Blanca. That's true, for Treasure of the Four Crowns. Yeah, that was really big when that came out. I remember it was like 3D and played here in Sacramento at the Century Theater. Um, hanging from the cache of gems, Daniel White paraphrases Gollum from The Lord of the Rings. Shall he What's my precious, sir? Well, he won't get it. In perhaps the most eye-catching scene in Diamonds of Kilimanjaro, the natives don masks, which looks incredibly like the cadaverous ghouls in Amando de Alciro's Tombs of the Blind Dead and its sequels. Did Jess Franco borrow the masks from Osario, who designed them himself? 
And if so, why couldn't he have found something more vivid and arresting to do with them? It's a pity they weren't available a few months earlier for Franco's Osorio-inspired horror film, Mansion of the Living Dead. Also, is Fred Pereira, short for Alfredo Pereira, making this another case for Franco's perennial private eye, Al Pereira? I think so. All right, other versions. There are two versions of this film, each including footage not present in the other. The Spanish version, El Tesoro de la Diosa Blanca, which is Franco's original cut, and the French version, Diamonds of Kilimanjaro, or Les Diamonds des du Kilimanjaro. Yorchin uh, bought El Tesoro de la Blanca, but insisted on several new sequences and some changes to the existing material. The additional footage clarifies the plot, while the changes are designed to replace Franco's utterly illogical depiction of De Winter's jungle hideaway, which, in the original version, contains a spiral staircase, which is always on my checklist, electric lighting, and a checkered enamel tiles. Wow. For a jungle cave, he has, once again, spiral staircase, electric lighting, and tiles. Franco simply shot the scenes for the cave interior in a dimly lit hotel, probably a bar or the anteroom to the hotel toilets. Evidently, this was too ludicrous, even for your scene, who insisted on reshoots to give the Great White Chief a Rafia straw hut instead. I know which is worse, huh? The 12 minutes of new material is as follows. And here's 10 things. First thing, number one. Actually, some of these actually help, I think. Um, a plane flies over the jungle before crashing, economically, into the undergrowth, resulting in the death of the pilot, cats, uh, the plane's two passengers, Daniel Day Winter, and a small female child emerge to find a group of natives gathered around them portrayed in worship of the new gods. 2 minutes, 27 seconds. Number two, Matthew, Mathot, and Lydia, Nito, plot together at a hotel bedroom. It's a 52-second scene. Uh, Daniel D. Winter emerges from a grass hut. Ten sec- 12 seconds. Number four, Fred Pereira, Mayans, and Lydia have sex in a hotel room. This scene runs longer than... In. This scene runs for longer in diamonds than in the original version, 45 seconds. Number five, after Peyton Graziani fires at a group of natives, three of them run to the village and alert the others. Their priestess, Noba, tells them they must fight the intruders while Daniel D. Winter observes from behind her, 1 minute, 26 seconds. Number six, at the tribal village, a group of natives sit in a circle and play music while Noba dances, 1 minute, 45 seconds. Yeah, it's a cheesy scene. I don't know if that was needed. But, you know, it's very uh, sensationalistic. Uh, number seven, the first encounter between the search party and Daniel Day Winter employs newly shot cutaways, replacing the cave mouth with the grass hut, plus a scene in the hut replacing a similar scene from the cave in Tesoro. Two minutes, 26 seconds. Shots substituting the grass hut interior for the cave interior during the scene in which Pereira robs the sleeping De Winter's jewel stash. That's number 8, 15 seconds. Number 9, Noba sees Pereira escaping and runs into the village to summon the tribe. 1 minute, 8 seconds. And finally, number 10, which actually is okay. Uh, Noba speaks with De Winter outside the hut, thanking him for killing Pereira and admitting that she is motivated by hatred for whites who seek only to occupy and destroy the jungle. She plays along with De Winter's great white chief fantasy because the old gods were dead and she needed something new to motivate her people. One minute, five seconds. Uh, Tesoro also features material entirely missing from Diamonds of Kilimanjaro. Some of it is fairly insignificant, like footage of Raphael wandering through the bushes after leaving the expedition, for instance. More importantly... Yeah, actually, Raphael's really good, too, in this. Uh, More importantly, the climatic confrontation between Noba and Diana leads to a completely different ending. In both films, Noba reveals to Diana that Pereira stole her father's jewels, spoiler alert, while Pereira, tied to a tree, watches helplessly. In the original version, the two women engage in a fight to the death to decide Pereira's fate. The priestess wants to kill him. Diana wants to forgive him. Noba clubs Diana to the ground and is about to deliver the killing blow when... Her father steps in from the shadows and shoots the priestess dead. Having thus consolidated his rule over the tribe by removing the fractious Noba, Daniel consoles Diana. The two return to their people while Pereira is allowed to go free. Uh, 
The film ends with Pereira walking away through the palm trees. It's actually a good ending. Uh, and then Diamonds, however, spoiler alert, the entire sequence is drastically re-edited. The fight between the two women is removed. Perhaps it looks so feeble and absurd? Question mark. And instead of Daniel shooting Noba, the cutting arranges for him to shoot Pereira in the back. We don't see the impact, nor do we see Pereira fall. It's all done with cutaways, audio overdubs, and reaction shots. Daniel consoles his distraught daughter, telling her that Pereira would have brought more outsiders back to the village in search of the jewels, and the lovelorn girl simply skips off into the jungle. So, yeah, that's what they got on that. All right, so I will return after the uh, bumper music and give you my review of Diamonds of Kilimanjaro, and I'll just say right off the bat, I like I actually liked it, so that's what we say. All right, uh, if you dig the show, please subscribe. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, Radio Public. Uh, download the episodes. Um, our record-breaking month of November was awesome. We basically almost doubled our monthly total, so thank you very much. I'm sure a lot of that has to do with some new fans that discovered the podcast from the film, My Film Lady Hyde. And if so, welcome aboard. Uh, this is episode 118, so you have 117 more to listen to before this. So you got plenty of material, always for free. Uh, if you do dig it, and it's always a free product, consider um, subs- um, donating. There's a donation button on the Red Circle page, either as a one-time or a uh, multiple, like a monthly deal. We've got, got two people that donate monthly. I thank you for that. Um, every bit helps. Uh, as you know, underground, independent filmmakers, podcasters, we all do it for free and actually end up paying to do it. So if you feel like chipping in, please feel free. Uh, if you dig us, please tell a friend, tell others about the show, let our audience grow and let more people find us, which is happening as we speak, uh, going on our second year now in a podcast. So that's all good. Uh, let's see, tell a friend and tell you about that. Um, if you want to find us and, uh, send us an email, please feel free. You can reach us at francoobserver at yahoo.com. Francoobserver at yahoo.com. Uh, we got pages on Facebook and we have pages on Instagram for the Franco Observer podcast. You can find us there at it and you'll see new material added all the time. Uh, All right, so thank you very much once again for listening to the Franco Observer Podcast. Hang out through the fabulous bumper music and hear my thoughts on the diamonds of, or the diamonds for Kilimanjaro. Buenas noches, Maha. All right, we are back with episode 118, film 119, Diamonds of slash 4, Kilimanjaro. All right, so um, if you listen to the first half of the show, you heard um, my reading of Stephen Thrower's comments on this film, Diamonds of Kilimanjaro. And its uh, original version, which we went over all that earlier. Um, let me see. Let me get back to my place here. So, I watched this um, earlier. I have the double feature DVD, the MVD Classics. Um, I saw these both on Blu-ray, I believe, and DVD. And I figured just to get this version, because it looked like it didn't have a lot of extras and stuff. So I just got this. It's pretty good. It's got both versions on here. Golden Temple Amazons and uh, Diamonds of Four Kilimanjaro. Um, yeah, it's funny because in the cover you look at it and it's totally there's. I, I guess there's diamonds. There's like a treasure, but um, I don't know. It's it's the cover of it. almost looks like the gal is like a like a Native American uh, gal standing in front of like a um, diamonds falling around her and just gave it a totally different impression of what I thought it would be. So, um, let me give the synopsis 
Um, and then I'll give you what I saw and uh, the Franco list and all that good stuff that you have come to know and to expect. So here we go. All right, synopsis. Um, a plane crashes somewhere in Africa, presumably near Mount Kilimanjaro, hence the title. The pilot is killed, but the two survivors, an old man called Mr. De Winter, not old man Winter, but Mr. De Winter, and his young daughter, Diana, are rescued by a primitive tribe. Sometime later, treasure hunter Fred Ferreira and his sidekick Peyton arrive, searching for a cache of legendary gems that the tribe are rumored to possess. The hunters are captured, but before the tribe's people can kill them, they're saved by Diana, who is now their resident white goddess. She allows the two men to leave, whereupon they return to civilization and inform Diana's dying mother that her daughter is still alive. Accompanied by Lita de Winter and Matthew, two money-grubbing relatives who stand to lose an inheritance if Diana returns, and the principled Raphael as guide, they head back to the jungle in search of Diana and the jewels. So yeah, right off the bat, um, it's, a, it's a jungle film, which we talked about earlier. I don't mind the jungle films. I actually kind of like them. Uh, like X-312, Flight to Hell, Cannibal, Oasis of the Living Dead. Um, what was it? Some of the uh, Dietrich prison films take place in the jungle and all that. So, you know, I mean, I'm not a hater of them, but I'm not a lover of them either. But I think they're pretty fun. Um, it starts off with... Uh, opens with jazz and the, um, the like desert plane the, the actual plane P-L-A-N-E uh, arm no, no I'm sorry P-A-L-A-I-N plane the, the planes um, also it's funny because plane as in high planes drifter is also plane as in ordinary it's just very plain but then a plane is a different spelling as well so so we have the desert plane and a plane landing on the desert plane. And we saw that. And of course, we have our nudity right off the bat, seven seconds in. Big departure from the last film, The Neurosis, House of Usher, where there's very little excitement. Very slow, very boring. This, I think, has a lot more excitement, even though the thrower doesn't believe so. I think there's a lot of good little pops that are fun to watch. It keeps you going. Um, we have the seven seconds in, the first nudity, the cheap hut area with the uh, painted uh, tribe, which I had mentioned. Those were all filmed later on in uh, the Eurocene's backyard, literally. Uh, we have backyard cuts to a field where the natives plane crash. Um, the natives worship the father and the daughter, which we talk about. Then we have uh, Katja Benner, the star in it, naked in a tree with a monkey eating papaya. It's kind of a funny scene. And with her, I wanted to point out, I guess she wears um, nail polish. i got to look closer, but it's funny. There's scenes of her wearing these like brown sandals, and you wonder where she got these sandals from, like adult-sized sandals. Maybe somebody else that was there that they killed, or maybe they just weren't supposed to show her feet, and they did. But there's a scene where she's wearing sandals. But I did like that her face, she had like a lot of pimples, and she looked, and she had hairy armpits, which was really good because it looked natural. It wasn't like she had a bunch of... Uh, like, you know, medicine on her face or shaved her armpits or nothing. I like that she had those things. So, I mean, she did look a little bit kind of, you know, um, wild, which is good. She wasn't too, like, cut up and everything. Her hair was wild and her let her body hair grow and everything and her face, just how it was, no makeup. So, that was nice. Um, she's uh, Deanna, and uh, she lets the thief free, which we see. And uh, it's funny, so all the natives in here, the tribesmen, they all have different paint. Not as crazy as cannibals and uh, devil hunter, but they have like half their face painted or polka dots on one guy. is pretty funny. But their face paint isn't as wild as the other Franco films. Um, and then it cuts to Lena. So Lena in this film, that's one thing that could be a drawback. Most things is, is Lena in it and how important is she? And then she plays the mother, so she's like this sickly woman with makeup on and covered head to toe in, in bed. She shows no skin, so it's funny. It's a different version of Lena. Uh, she's sick, mother of Diana in bed and talking to Olivia Mathot, which we learn is her nephew, which is pretty stupid casting. Um, the English dubbing I thought was bad um, because like a lot of it doesn't match, and of course, that's coming from me. But uh, some of it is just the voice is really odd. And also, too, I noticed that uh, 
Albino Graziani, which has been in a few films by now from Franco. Never noticed it before, but maybe it's just this film. But he really does resemble Merle Haggard. So, yeah, look up uh, Albino Graziani, or if you know who he is, then look up Merle Haggard. You'll probably have a nice laugh. Old, old Merle Haggard, like from the 70s and 80s, you know. So, yeah, it's funny that we have the scene of uh, the naked woman on the bed um, that uh, her name is... Um, Maria Carmen, the lead to Winter, and so she's, I guess, I'm trying to figure out the thing, it's nephew, it's her sister, so they would be cousins, I guess, Olivia Mathaw, who's probably like in his 60s, and then you get this girl who's probably like in her 20s, and she's like laying naked in the bed next to him, they kind of kiss and stuff, and they make you think that they're a couple, but then they're like cousins, or brother and sister, or related in some way, so it's very odd, but uh, yeah, you have her, um, and then uh, Levi Mathos like sitting there smoking and, and drinking a lot. Um, and then I have another note here. Deanna visits her dad, the big wife chief, Scottish, which is funny, Daniel White. I didn't know it was Daniel White till after I watched the film. I thought it was really odd casting and the guy wasn't that good of an actor. But then as I realized who he was, I'm like, okay, well, that makes sense. He's he's the composer. He's not really a professional actor. But yeah, he's very odd in this film. Very odd. Gives odd expressions and his delivery's not the greatest, but it's, I guess, to be expected. Uh, from a non-professional actor. Uh, let's see. So yeah, he's Big White Chief, which is funny, a Scottish guy. Um, then we have a scene where Antonio Mines is laying naked in bed sleeping, and uh, the woman, um, uh, Lydia De Winter again, the the beautiful girl who gets naked in it a lot. Actually, there's a few naked gals in this, like three or four, but she's the her and Katya are the two um, leads in here. Um, so she comes into the room and... and uh, Tony Mines gets out of bed naked holding a gun on her. You see his butt. It's a pretty funny shot. He's sleeping naked. Then he, she comes in and they talk and then they have sex. So, of course, you know. Um, I liked the music, the mix of music. It had like the jazz. It had the Devil Hunter stuff. It had a lot of other cannibals and his other tribe. But then it also had like this new wave keyboard stuff. And uh, it had the jungle drums and the chanting. And it was, it was, it was a nice mix of music for me. It was, it was like 80s and... 50s and 60s and 70s all all mixed in together it was really cool um what's funny is they use a lot of jungle animal safari footage here some of it there's a scenes where she goes swimming we'll talk about later with a crocodile that matches but a lot of it is like from years and years ago before this was filmed so it's like pretty dated it looks like 50s maybe not maybe 60s some 70s footage mixed in this 1982 film so you see all these birds flying and rhinoceroses and all this jungle wildlife and it's just all safari footage from something else that doesn't really match and then i talk about deanna's sandals i'm like how does she get the sandals that doesn't make sense so yeah now we'll get to the footage so there's a sequence of um the uh mari carmenito the lydia the winner the the girl on expedition it's really weird so she goes swimming. We see her go get naked, go swimming. And then we see a crocodile or alligator uh, coming after her, a gator coming after her. And then the guys shoot at the gators, shoot the gator. She gets out. She's crying. The music plays over it. She cries to her family member, Olivia DeMathot, and But we don't hear any of the dialogue, and the music's overdubbed over it. Then she leaves them and goes off to, like, this field... And it looks like she's getting ready to lay down and tan, and Diana's going to watch her, which might be in the other version, I'm thinking, because then it cuts to her getting naked, jumping in the water again, and the same sequence going on again. Her swimming naked, the crocodile coming after her, the same sequences, the same footage, the same guy shooting, and the same, but it's just the exact same sequence done like just back to back for like five minutes it's so bizarre it's like you're watching it rewinding it and then watching it again it makes no sense they should have just cut that or, or whatever then you see her get out and come to him again and cry and this time you hear the what they're saying so it's just like they took the scene and basically played it twice it makes no sense that part is just bizarre um, but yeah, man shoots at it, cuts the stock footage you no know, dialogue, old stock footage the woman gets naked again lays down and gator and then Dan spies on her, repeats. I put, wow, like question marks and exclamation marks. Like, why did they do that? That scene made no sense to me. And they don't talk about that in the book either, about how they just play that scene twice. And they just do to pat it, but it's just crazy. So then after that, she runs off with Antonio Mayans, and they have sex in the jungle, which is basically just like this dry uh, playa ground with some wild, some... Um, 
like bushes and stuff, but it's just all dried out. It doesn't match at all the other jungle areas they were at. Um, and then we have, uh, well, Deanna watches him have sex with her, and he basically just like a missionary with his pants on and pulls his dick out of his zipper and like humps her. That was about, so basic, boring, it's funny. Um, and then, uh, let's see. Oh, yeah, and then other off, of course, stock footage of all the rhinoceroses and, and jungle cats and everything. Then they show a deer out in a field. And they're just like, I didn't know there was deer in the wildlife jungles, but eh, what the hell, you know. Um, and we do have a gore effect of uh, the natives later, which you talk about, cut off Alberto Grimaldi's head. You see, uh, it's actually a decent skull, uh, decent prop, because it does look like his face, the beard a little bit, when you see it in the long shot of them cutting off his head and holding it up. And it's weird, so the tribe make this whistle sound, and they, all through the movie you hear it in the jungle, and the the white explorers keep hearing it, looking around, but it's almost like a, I imagine like a dog whistle. It's like the natives go, <laughs> so they just basically do this whistling, which is weird, and it's almost like a dog whistle, like they're whistling for the dog, like, come here, boy, come here, boy, type of whistle, but that's their, like, bird whistle or something to scare the people. It's bizarre. Um, and there's a pretty good fight scene between, uh, Let's see, uh, Antonio Mayans and the guy that plays uh, Rafi- uh, Rojo, Javier Mayas, plays Rafael Rojo, the jungle guy. It's actually a decent fight. They do like this snap mare and a headlock takedown kind of move, and then he trips him and does like a judo takedown. And it's one of actually Franco's better fight scenes for the chore- choreography of it, but it's not anything great, but it, it's, it's good for Franco. Um, and then I liked, uh, so after... Uh, they beat up Mayans and that. There's a scene where uh, Deanna rescues them and she takes them to this area and, and she ha- takes out this machete and like cuts this melon in half. She's like, here, eat this. This will make you feel better. And she just like cuts this watermelon into basically and she's like, yeah, you're really hurt. You got beat up and destroyed. But here, eat some of this watermelon and you'll feel better. You know, that's pretty funny. So there's a scene when Rojo, uh, Rafael Ro- uh, Rofo, uh, goes and he decides to have a change of heart. And he writes a note, and it's in Spanish, because uh, that was the original version of the film. And uh, I actually ended up taking pictures of it, because it's funny. So he writes this scene, of course, handwritten note, writes a scene in Spanish, leaves it on this branch, and it takes off. Well, and then the lady comes and finds it. Uh, the the uh, relative finds it. But it's funny, because they show her approaching the note, and it's in Spanish. And you see it in Spanish, then, like, for a couple seconds, then it cuts to a close-up of the note in English filmed in another, like, kind of branch area, and the color stock's a little different, and it's all in English, and it doesn't make sense either. It's funny, because you see it, and it just, like, changes from Spanish to English. It makes no sense. I start laughing. I'm like, wow, that's really bad editing. They should have just took that two-second shot out. It would have been a lot better. Um, I like the scene when the big ch- white chief... Uh, is looking at his jewels. You have like a light reflecting off of him onto his face, like what um, Pulp Fiction did later, like in the glowing briefcase, or uh, just the glow of the jewels is corrupting him, you know. So that, I thought that was kind of a nice touch. Um, it's also like that, uh, was it Kiss Me Deadly, where the glowing uh, jewels in the case that you don't see, but you see the glow on the face. It's an old Hollywood thing. I'm sure Franco noticed that. Uh, what was funny is there's a scene where Diana and Antonio Mayan's character are going through the jungle and they see a rhino, but of course they're reacting to stock footage and the stock footage is so old and the rhino looks and he gets scared and then they talk to him and the rhino runs away and it's just so bizarre because you could tell it's way older footage and it just doesn't make sense, but you know, it's way to cut corners, be cheap, but it's, it's, it's funny. Um... And I did like the end sequence that they changed with the uh, the good end talk with the old woman. Or I'm sorry, with the with the uh, with the lady, the uh, the black tribesman and uh, the old uh, Scottish guy talking about society and how the white men just come and take the land and, and kill everybody and, and take over. And it was it was a good final kind of a speech at the end to kind of reprimand society and how things change and things always change in the more negative way or of progress, you know, but, uh, yeah, you know, I liked this film. Um, it's cheesy. There's some dumb stuff, but it's entertaining and that's what movies are. Just if it entertains you and you enjoyed it, 
then it's not bad, you know? Uh, yeah, there's some glowing continuity errors. There's bad dubbing. There's uh, a lack of story. Lena's criminally misused. Um, there's a lot of stuff going against it, but there's a lot of stuff going for it. Um, like I said, it's it's fun. Um, there's some good acting. I like the guy that played Ro- Rofo. I liked uh, Koch in it. I liked the Mayans. Um, the lead... Uh, um, tribesman Aline Mess Noba, she's really good. Um, yeah, it was entertaining, you know. Um, Olivia Mathot's pretty cheesy, drinking all the time and everything, but uh, yeah, no, it, was, it was fun. I, I enjoyed it. Like I said, it was better than I thought it was going to be, and that's always a thing. If I go into it with lowered expectations, um, it turns out to be better. I'm always happy. So, all right, let's go ahead and knock out this uh, little thing we call the. Just Franco list. It's a Franco list that I use on almost all the episodes. I don't think we started it at the beginning. It might have came in, came on board after the first few. But it's a collection of things I've noticed through Just Franco films, and other people have noticed as well. Not the first, um, but there's some I've found that other people haven't found, and so we all just kind of get together and improve on each other's work. So here is the Franco list for Diamonds of Kilimanjaro. Number one on the list, Body of Water. Yes, uh, we see Body of Water, very fleeting. Um, the scenes uh, where they're in the hotel and uh, the camera pans across when they're on the balcony, you see the water for a split second, and you see boats and sailboats for like three frames, so they're like really fast. I didn't see it the first time, caught on the second viewing. Uh, yeah, and I did watch this twice. Uh, number four, Palm Trees. Yes, we have plenty of palm trees all through the film. Number five, jungle sound effects. Yes, we do. Uh, the monkey in it is dubbed, because, uh, of course, they dub everything in this English version. The monkey that caught you, he, he doesn't speak English, god damn it, but he does go... I mean, weird, you know, sounds like that. But And, of course, the jungle sound effects. They do wind sound, they do the jungle sounds, the whistling, all the other stuff. So, yeah. Number six, a chained-up, tied-up person. Yeah, you have uh, Antonio Mayans tied up at the tree at the end. Took a long time, but... Not too many, but just him. Uh, number seven, dance scenes on stage stripping. Not a stage, but you have the stripping, well, not new dancing of um, uh, Aline May as Noba, the tribal priestess, the scene that was added on where they're all sitting around her and she's dancing and shaking her tits and they're all playing the drums and doing the tribal deal. Um, but yeah, so that was the dance scene on stage stripping because she's getting down shaking her tits and everybody's dancing and partying uh, number eight club scenes dancing um or at a bar scene yeah there's a bar scene where they're all sitting around together before they go off into the jungle to, to talk about the plan and what's going to happen um with the uh, new guide rojo rofo and um livia mathot and mayans and uh, the other gal uh number nine jazz music yeah starts off definitely with jazz uh, there's a little jazz in it, all different kinds of music, but definitely the first tune that starts off the film is a jazz number. Number 10, excessive zooms. Yeah, quite a few zooms on this, I noticed. Um, maybe not excessive, but quite a few that jump out quite a bit. Number 11, out of focus shots. Nope, pretty good on that. 12, mirror shots. Um, actually, you have an out of focus shot on the hut. Yeah, out of focus shots at the end with uh, the big white hunter. They keep him out of focus for some reason on a lot of his shots. He's like really hazy and the rest. It's it's, it's a weird uh, scheme when he has problem. I think it's the, the, the light in that hut when they filmed him or something and might have screwed up the uh, focusing on that. Uh, number 11, 12, mirror shots. Yeah, very basically at Lena's. When Lena's in bed, you see a couple mirrors on the wall. Nothing major. It doesn't. He doesn't do any trick shots in it or doesn't show it, but there is two mirrors up in that room. That's about it. Very minimal. Thirteen, mind control theme. You know, at first I said no, but then I said yes because the natives are under the control of the white god. Uh, the old man's under the control of the treasure that corrupts his mind. And, of course, um, that was the two. So, uh, Let's see. Thirteen. 14, magic tongue scenes. Well, no, Lena's in bed all sick and all old woman-y, so no magic tongue, no Lena. 15, red light. Uh, no, no red lights in this film. 16, sheepskin rug. Yes, sheepskin rugs abound, pelts all in the natives' huts in the uh, Eurocene backyard. Those shanty huts, you see uh, pelts and uh, 
sheepskin stuff all through there. And masturbation with a letter C item, as in claw, cigarette, cane, cactus, ow, uh, cucumber, you know, no, no masturbation with a C item. 17, mad scientist and servant. Well, you don't have a mad scientist and servant, but you do have the big white hunter and uh, the priestess woman. So I guess that's maybe half point. 18, fish tank shots. No. 19, talking parrot. No, there's a monkey that's dubbed, but he doesn't speak English. So, no. 20, in credits, yes or no. Yeah, there's quite a few of... Uh, a lot of credits at the end. No, the end or Finn, but definitely in credits by Eurocene after the fact. 21, handwritten notes. Yeah, there's a cheesy, um, the hut area, there's like a symbol for like a, like the faces. You could tell it was made for the film. And then also the handwritten note where the guy, uh, Rojo signs the, uh, Arofo signs the note and it changes from Spanish to English, which I mentioned about. Um, 22 spiral staircase shot no but i learned that in the original version there is a spiral staircase in the cave which was changed into the from the um el tesoro de la diosa blanca treasure of the white goddess version has a spiral staircase in his hut or in his cave but this version doesn't 23 inept cops no 24 belly chains no 25 kinks uh I guess, uh, I don't know, racism, I guess, uh, naked Tarzan stuff. Oh, yeah, there's a lot of scenes of her swinging naked in the jungles on these vines, which is pretty humorous. It has nothing to do with the list, but I forgot to mention it if I would have kicked myself. There's some funny scenes where he's trying to show her swing from tree to tree on these vines, and it's pretty cute, but it's, wow, yeah. Uh, let's see, 26, great headboards, no great headboards in this, because there's no great beds, really, just the hotel, nothing major there, 27, fear or desire, be desire, they all desire the money, they desire the treasure, the diamonds of Kilimanjaro, uh, the desire to, you know, rob and be rich, 28, acoustic guitar player, no acoustic guitars, but, uh, acoustic drums, or not, that would be acoustic, but there's, uh, yeah, yeah, there's drums, you know, old bongo drums, and other, um, acoustic instruments they play but um yeah maybe not because what would that be that would be uh drum drum uh i forgot what those are called not acoustic but it would be um anyway so uh get back to me on that 29 reading a book scene no i don't think they read they might read a map or something in this but no sit down reading a book scene and finally number 30 is there a scene where they talk about i gotta take a pee or somebody peeing no no pee scenes in this film so it would have made sense though to pee out in the jungle, but yeah, they, nobody nobody goes for a piss. I don't know why they didn't shoot. That could have been actually part of the uh, kink list too. So, all right, well, this was Diamonds of Kilimanjaro or Diamonds for Kilimanjaro, whatever way you want to interpret it as. I think they were both confused on the title. So, there's a lot of confusion in this film. Quite a few scenes repeated, things that don't match, things that are translated odd but hey you know as a low budget filmmaker no budget filmmaker i know how it is but he had way more of a budget than i did so they should be a little more taking a task for some of the things left in this film so yeah 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 but that's that but yeah um would i recommend it yeah i'd recommend it it's not one of jess franco's best but if you've already seen a bunch of his films i would definitely recommend watching this it's it's fun there's definitely way worse films of his way more boring films of his um it's fun. There's some good stuff. A lot of familiar faces. Of course, Katja Benner, um, Antonio Mayans, Olivia Mathot, Lena Romay in a small part, the jungle stuff, a lot of good-looking scenery, beautiful area. So, yeah, it's fun. Check it out. Diamonds of Kilimanjaro, 1982 or three by now. So, All righty. Well, that concludes this portion of the Franco Observer podcast. Thank you once again for listening, my fellow faithful Franco fans. Um, glad you're digging the films, and I'm glad you're digging the podcast. Uh, once again, check out Lady Hyde on Tubi, and the station called Momitu, M-O-M-E-T-U, and coming soon on Amazon Prime. Once again, Lady Hyde, check it out, and uh, leave a review for me if you can, if you dig it, on IMDb or on Letterboxd, or spread the word share the movie let people know about lady hide on tubi that's uh influenced my uncle jess so if you like this podcast if you dig me if you dig my films please check it out 
and please help me spread the word and uh, let's get a fan cult fan base growing. So, alrighty, ladies, gentlemen, feathered friends, all my beautiful animals, everybody, everything around the world. I love you all. Be good. Stay warm. Stay healthy. Be peaceful. And let's get this end of year 2022 out of the way and go on to 2023 when it's noches maha.